Uh, good morning, St. Thomas's. I'm really looking forward to the church coming back and for us to be together uh, come that day. Well, today we come to the end of our ISM series. Uh, the ISM series was put together by Joshua and it's about being culturally aware of, of certain isms, certain cultural assumptions that have put pressure on us in the church without us necessarily uh, knowing it. Now, the idea behind the series is that as Christians, we might know or see the culture that we're in, how it pressures us, and also to see what the gospel has to say about it so that we might be transformed in our thinking rather than conforming to the pattern of the world. The ism that we're looking at today is politicism. Now, politicism's not a word, um, as the other isms were. If we remember back to the start of the series, ism, of course, is a suffix, and it gives a word a particular meaning, a distinctive practice or of being on the side of. And often, ism is the suffix to political ideology, Marxism, capitalism, libertarianism. I'm therefore taking politicism to be more broad. The world is by nature political. Aristotle famously noted, man is by nature a political animal. We are drawn to one another. We form partnerships, alliances. Such partnerships enable us to flourish. We'll be looking at political views in the culture and how these have had an effect on us in the church. I have uh, two observations. Some Christians seem to think or have a too low opinion of politics and of government, whereas some Christians seem to think too high of politics and government. We have three passages today that we'll be looking at from John's Gospel. Each will be read separately, and I'll speak after each. First, I'll pray. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and showing the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach and encourage us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Our first reading today is from John 2, verses 23 to 25. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. The political culture we find ourselves in is democracy. It's my preference for a political system because it, in general, diffuses power. We know the famous words of Lord Acton, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So a question could be, well, is the problem with power per se, or is with the problem with the person? And it seems clear that the problem is with the person. 
I chose the reading uh, from John today, the one that we just had, because of verse 24. I'll read it out. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. These are the people that we are told are believing in him. In fact, in the, the original language, it's like they were trusting in him, but Jesus was not entrusting himself to them. And even though they were believing in him, Jesus would not entrust himself to them. And the reason given, because he knew what was in each person. Christ sees right through to the very heart of each person. And scripture, if we pan right out, scripture teaches that all people are sinful. Sin affects every aspect of our lives. And so the greater power given to an individual, the greater the possibility for corruption and damage. So when thinking theologically about politics, the doctrine of sin's universality must be recalled. Which political system aids human flourishing and curtails human sinfulness? And so as a Christian, my preference is for democracy, to help keep, help keep people with political power um, accountable and in check and focus on human flourishing. I want to turn now to thinking about our culture and the way it responds to politics, particularly in Australia, or first there. Based on the data of the recent Australia Talk survey, ABC journalist Casey Briggs writes, most Australians are of the view that their political representatives are dishonest, unaccountable, and corrupt. Now, I, I think this is an Australian default position. We're skeptical of those in authority. Annabelle Crabb uh, posed this as a question in her article based on the same survey. Isn't disaffection with politicians just an ancient Australian tradition? But according to history, Crabb states, no, it isn't. Faith in our political system has waxed and waned over the years. So we are at a particular moment of perhaps heightened distrust. America, too, is going through some similar skepticism. According to the Pew Research Center, faith in institutions has declined, cynicism has risen, and citizens are becoming their own information curators. There is a growing mistrust, and this mistrust has become particularly apparent with the pandemic and the offer of vaccines. Again, Pew uh, Research Center has sought to find where is this mistrust located. Their uh, findings are, are quite alarming. Top of the list, white evangelical Protestants are less likely to have been vaccinated for COVID-19 than any other religious groups. Now you'll note there that atheists are uh, part of who they're counting here. So really out of anyone, not just religious groups. Why is it that this group, at least in America, makes them, what is it about them that makes them so distrustful of government and science? Well, Pew uh, also had a list of concerns given by those who have chosen not to be vaccinated. 
And so I'm assuming that a lot of these concerns are, are taken up by those uh, white evangelicals. Three in particular stood out to me. There's too much pressure on Americans to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Public health officials are not telling us everything about COVID-19 vaccines. It makes, it's, it, sorry, it's hard to make sense of all the information about COVID-19 vaccines. The first two come from a place of mistrust and skepticism. I'm being told to get vaccinated, why? There must be an insidious ulterior motive. Public health officials are not telling us everything. A suspicion there is that we're being kept in the dark. And the third, it's hard to make sense of all the information. This highlights that this group is digesting multiple and conflicting sources of information and misinformation. Trust is a factor. This group's trust in official government and health advice is being undermined by other sources. Their refusal to get vaccinated displays either anxiety about what is true because of all that information they've got, or greater trust in other sources of information. So remember that former finding, uh, citizens are becoming their own information curators. Now, I think that's broadly true of those who are not getting vaccinated. But it takes a particular twist with a certain demographic in the American evangelical church. Now, I, I count myself as an evangelical. I would have much in common with the evangelical tradition in America. But there is another large cohort that see themselves as evangelical, and yet I think their reading of scripture is divergent from what makes evangelicals evangelical. I'm focusing on this uh, so-called evangelical America because of its huge influence on the Australian church. Maybe not so much the Anglican church, but certainly there are churches within Australia that have been very influenced by America. With worship, say the mega church model in Australia has taken its cues from the American model, along with specific teaching and political activism. Uh, Jeffrey Robinson, a um, professor of um, social sciences at Deakin University, has uh, written an article regarding the rise of the Christian right in Australia. He notes, in the United States, the 1970s was a decade of faith. Australia provided only a faint echo. But for ambitious evangelicals, the American Christian right was a model. Hills Christian Life Centre, later Hillsong, was established in explicit emulation of the American megachurch model. Now, I think the particular teaching that has been imported from America, and this is quite uh, broad, but one in particular, which I think creates a heightened sense of suspicion, is their end times teaching. Now, I cannot speak at length here about this teaching, except that it places a disproportionate emphasis on apocalyptic books of the Bible, Revelations or Daniel or certain passages within the Gospels. 
and trying to match current events as we see them happen around us and forecasting uh, the future. Journalist Greg Sheridan, in an article titled Did Trump Destroy Evangelical Christianity, notes, over-interpreting politics can lead to theological problems. A minority of evangelicals go in for prophecy and the highly risky business of interpreting biblical prophecies as evident in current events. It is presumptuous, to say the least, for any Christian to think they are so gifted that they can interpret the troubles of today, the troubles of Trump, to prove that we are in the last stages of end times. Well, in that same article, Sheridan notes that certain evangelicals being so affiliated with Trump and Trump's lack of denouncing, say, QAnon conspiracy theories have resulted in some of these evangelicals taking on some of the theories of QAnon. Trump never formally endorsed QAnon, but he wouldn't denounce it and described QAnon's adherents as people who love America. Four years of this kind of wink and nod approval for extreme right-wing and conspiracy madness from Trump effectively authorised this stuff and helped it enter the bloodstream of evangelicals. This all thwarts the church's mission to be salt and light, to bear testament to the kingdom of God. How can Christians be on their guard I find that the church, some quarters of the church can be so suspicious of the world, of government, of science, and yet at the same time unguarded to the threats within the church. Paul, as he's leaving uh, the Ephesian um, Christian leadership on the shores of Miletus, warned them, but it wasn't against civil society or government but from those within who would destroy them. These are his parting words to church leaders. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. I know that after I have gone, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Some even from your own group will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. This series really is about being alert, alert to cultural influences, being aware, so that we might not conform to such influences when they undermine the gospel. And that is certainly helpful, being culturally aware, but additionally, we can become more alert by deepening our understanding of Scripture, of the storyline of the whole Bible, what is called salvation history. Stephen McAlpine, in his latest book, Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't, he writes, so how do we recognize the challenge of counterfeit gospel? the same way law enforcement agencies train their staff to recognize counterfeit banknotes, not by examining every detail of a fake $10 bill, 
but by becoming completely familiar with legitimate currency. We must turn to the truth of the Bible to get our direction. We can also add to our alertness by becoming more familiar with Christian thought throughout history. On any particular topic, we can always ask, how have Christians understood this throughout history? And go looking for that. And what I find, much of the popular end times teaching does not have a long historical foundation of Christian thought. Being novel, it needs to be tested theologically. How does the teaching affect Christian practice? Does it promote growth in godliness? Does it promote hope in Christ and compassion for the world he died to save? Or is it creating fear and blinding Christians to reality? I must say I'm aghast at how some Christians have shut themselves off from reason on the basis of spurious end times teaching. No matter how strong a reasoned argument may be put forward, they remain cynical and see through it all. C.S. Lewis has this analogy regarding cynicism, which I think is apt. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or garden beyond it is opaque. How if you saw through the garden too? It is no use trying to see through first principles. If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible, is an invisible world to see through all things is the same as not to see. Today's second reading is from John 6, verses 14 to 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. When Jesus realised that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I chose this reading from John because of Jesus' avoidance to be a political figure on the basis of the world's expectations. The world's political systems, no matter how good the leader is, will never bring salvation. Christ chose another path. This does not mean that government is irrelevant. We see easily within the scriptures, God established government in the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament as well. Uh, by way of at least one verse as an example, Romans 13, I could read most of the chapter, but I'll just read this one verse. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Government has its role. And Christians are called to be supportive in prayer, paying taxes, giving honour, in the knowledge that government is instituted by God. This teaching should at very least curb any partisan criticism of any government. We may note a certain, uh, we may vote, sorry, a certain way, 
because the values of a particular party align with the values that we might see in the kingdom of God. But as Christians, we will have differing opinions on which kingdom values we want to see political parties be representative of. We'll have a different hierarchy, I think, of values. We might see some of those values within the Liberal National Party or in the ALP or even in the Greens. There are dangers with being too partisan, always voting for a particular party. One writer outlines the danger succinctly. However great the threat from one poll may seem, if we follow partisans to the other poll, we will end up speaking on behalf of the party rather than Christ. We will fail to affirm the true and the good when it comes from political enemies. And we will remain silent when the party we've joined in service of the greater good becomes the enemy of the good. We must always remember no political party is perfect. Any political party can be corrupt. And as Christians, we must resist becoming like the culture which is increasingly polarised on issues. Now, there will be issues that we think differently on. There will be issues, obviously, that we think the Bible speaks very clearly on, and so we will maintain a stance and opposition to the way culture views a particular issue. But this was put well, I think, by the writer on um, the Gospel Coalition, Arcos. Most political issues are not straight line issues. Most are jagged line issues. Now bear in mind, Gospel Coalition, this is quite a, what would be regarded conservatively. Most are jagged line issues, Arcos says. Think of everything from trade policy to healthcare, from monetary policy to carbon dioxide emission caps. These are important. And Christians should bring biblical principles to bear when thinking about them. But the path from biblical text to policy application is not simple. It is complex. For such issues, none of us should presume to possess the Christian position as if we were apostles revealing the true doctrine once and for all time. The third reading is from John 18, verses 33 to 37. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. For the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The final reading, this is an amazing episode in the, in the uh, Passion narrative. In the previous passage, Christ walked away from political power, 
But here he speaks of who he is. He is the king, the king of a kingdom which transcends all kingdoms of this world. Jesus answers Pilate, verse 37, you say that I am a king, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The truth, Christ is king. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Governments have their place in this world and they exercise authority which has been given to them from above, given to them from God. They will, like all of us, have to give an account for what they have done, what they do, and with what they were given. Governments are temporary. Christ's kingdom is eternal. And the church's role is to point to the kingdom of God by listening to Christ the King. This is our role in the world as ambassadors for that kingdom. To work for the good of this world, Oliver O'Donovan is a Christian ethicist who contributes to political theology. He says, we cannot say, well, there's the world and that's all right on its own terms. Let it go on its own way, and we'll attend to relating to God separately from that. That's not the way God related to us. He came to suffer and die under Pontius Pilate, and there is the model we will be called to and given to live. In a forum, he gave uh, this wonderful illustration. He says, the church's witness to the kingdom of God always holds up a memory and anticipation of forms of social relating and enactment that are not captured by the juridical and institutional, institutional structures of civil society and its government. And that is what the being of the church in the middle of society must always do. Now, when he, when he said that, uh, it's a complex, uh, complex sentences, and it's hard to, to follow. But then he gives a very helpful um, illustration. He says, the state punishes. It sends those it punishes to prison. The church visits prisoners. There is an antithesis, not an opposition. The church's role is to say, Remember the act which produced this situation, going to jail. However necessary, however right on its own terms, is a relative temporary provision. And God has something else for the future. That is the relationship between church as a community and civil political society. Well, I've been challenged in preparing this sermon to think about politics more, to understand how the church relates to government. I want to commit to growing in understanding political movements, their foundation, points of connection with the church and where the church operates, as Donovan says, in antithesis. I don't think we have the option of dropping out of society, of forming holy huddles, disengaging from the world around us, we live in the world through and in Christ. We're not of the world. 
Certainly there have been remarkable Christians, political activists, members of political parties. There have also been really bad examples of these too. I believe the best examples come from Christians who have thought deeply about the church, the world, and its politics, history, and church history, and of course, the scriptures. I want to encourage us all to be growing in our knowledge of these things. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, cause us to grow in our knowledge of you as we read your word and seek to live in Christ in this world. Give us humility and wisdom as we seek to understand politics and help us to learn from your church throughout time. Cause our unity in the spirit to safeguard us from splitting over political views. May we glorify you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, King and Redeemer. Amen.